Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're very pleased to have joining us on the program today, Dr. Teresa Martinez, who is an associate professor in the sociology department at the University of Utah. Dr. Martinez, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, obviously, there's a, in the wake of the, the Texas tragedy, there's a, a lot of talk on some of those things out front. And I know this is an area that you specialize in, in terms of juvenile delinquency, uh, looking at deviant behavior and social control. And so I want to get kind of that broader conversation in terms of where are we today with uh, children? Maybe that's the place to start is uh, where are children today? Are they more violent? That seems to be the first question. Are they just more violent than they used to be? I think children are struggling with on multiple fronts, including, uh, wow, I mean, serious mental health issues. I mean, that's that's the first thing I thought when I heard that this was an 18-year-old child uh, shooting, you know, 19 children and two teachers. There are serious mental health issues. And, and by the way, in the juvenile justice system, it is very well known that there are serious mental health issues confronting youth. And social class issues, you know, mm, poverty, yeah. et cetera. And, and then, of course, there's whole issues of discrimination. Now, in the case with, with Texas, it's very clear that this was a young man of color who basically killed indiscriminately children of color, teachers of color, as well as white kids, white uh, youth. So race doesn't seem to be uh, at least an issue in who he was targeting. But something has to have been very, very wrong. This young man shot his grandmother in the face, yeah. uh, shot children in the face. So as a person who looks at these kinds of crimes, uh, we should be asking the question, what was happening in this young man's life to lead up to this? And so far, I haven't seen any answers on that. So yeah. I'm curious myself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say that the upstream uh, questions are the one that I, ones that I'm really uh, looking for as well as what what was going on up front, what was happening in yeah. the home, what was happening at yes. at school, and so on. Uh, and so as, as you look at that, as we search for those kinds of things, are there are there trends, are there patterns that you're seeing? Uh, in your research that uh, are part of conversations that we're not having, but we need to be happening and need to have as a society? Well, you know, this is a bigger question, just as you've mentioned. And I was going to say that we really do need to start looking at what's happening with youth of color in the, in the community, because they do have higher rates of contact and referral within the juvenile justice system. 
implicit biases, overt biases happening that are actually affecting their lives. And there's this phenomenon called bias amplification, where if a youth of color receives more severe dispositions, like more contact and severe dispositions, dispositions in juvenile court are final decisions. If they're receiving higher rates of contact and referral and severe dispositions, that's going to lead to more arrests, longer rap sheets, numbers of arrests and convictions. It's just going to be this huge amplified issue that becomes a cycle. Um, and that's, honestly, it's a bigger question. Those things are some are things we also talk about in my class with regard to youth. And and it's not just with boys, although I'm really right there. Those those findings are really about young men. But if we look at young women, my gosh, poverty is shaping the lives of young women. So what's happening with them is also really horrific. And we need to really start looking at what's happening with the juvenile justice system nationwide. But my understanding is that youth has a pretty great system here because people have worked so hard to fashion it. But across the country, these issues are still amplified. Yeah. And, and so as you look at some of those uh, challenges with, within the system, uh, and, and those are, are real things that have to be addressed uh, on multiple fronts uh, and uh, with everything from federal, state, local uh, have yes. to be involved in that. And then yes. looking at it from uh, just kind of the community standpoint, what is it what is it that we're missing in our communities, uh, mm. re- regardless of community? Uh, you know, whether it was uh, the, like the Buffalo shooter who, you know, clearly had a yeah. white supremacy uh, yeah. motive and, and family uh, dysfunction there to uh, to this latest shooter who, as you mentioned, is Hispanic and was pretty indiscriminate yeah. in terms of whom he was asked. Or what, what are the conversations we need to have in our community? Well, and this is also this also goes back to the Trolley Square shooting. Do you remember the young Bosnian? He was, I believe, he was only eighteen or nineteen years old. Uh, that terrible shooting that happened at Trolley Square here in Salt Lake. All of these shooters are very young people who are probably seeking answers to issues and probably definitely dealing with mental health issues. So our communities need to be intervening in the lives of these youth much earlier. For for a, a kid, and I consider an 18-year-old to really to be a child, for that young man to shoot up, oh my gosh, to join white supremacist organizations and have crazy thoughts about white supremacy and go in to shoot people at a grocery store who are black and, and killing anybody that they can. And for this young Latino man who, who, who shoots, oh my Lord, kills elementary school children, those two young men, there must have been red flags going on in their lives early, I would imagine. I would be surprised if there weren't. We do know that the shooter in Buffalo had written a manifesto. That should have been something people looked at right away. Even the people who, uh, although you can't really necessarily trust the people who were with him on those blogs, right, and in those chat rooms. But if somebody noticed something that is when people can intervene and start. And and what was going on in the home earlier? What was going on in that community? And I agree with you fully that it's not just a home issue. It's a community issue. We should be coming together, supporting our youth. And, you know, in the wake of COVID, and I'm not going to tell you that this doesn't happen, that this might not happen without COVID, but COVID has influenced our lives dramatically. I've seen it in my own students. My husband is a high school teacher. He sees it in his students. Children have 
really begun to display, and people have been saying this over and over, commentators, they're, dis- they're, they're displaying serious mental health issues. And COVID exacerbated every issue. You know what I mean? Because kids were isolated. They, right. were, they were kept from going to school. Some of them dropped out. They got lost. And obviously, it was very difficult for anybody to intervene in the lives of children except for their parents yeah. when COVID was happening. And if that faltered, so I think we need more programming for youth. I think we need more life skills training, yeah. more access to education, better mental health services. I, I pro- you probably know that the Huntsman family created uh, more opportunities for mental health with a partnership with the University of Utah. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I was literally there applauding. It's yeah. like my students need this. We need this in our communities. Definitely. Uh, great insight, Dr. Teresa Martinez, Associate Professor in Sociology Department at the University of Utah. Professor, we appreciate you joining us today, and I'm, I'm with you. It is a all-of-the-above strategy from the juvenile yes. justice system to the community and home and everything in between. It is a, a crucial conversation we have to get to. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're most welcome. Thank you. More Inside Sources coming up next on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.